Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Hey there, and welcome to Hit Like a Girl Pod, a community dedicated to lifting women's voices. While we continue to hit the trails, reconnecting with folks all around the country and collecting content for season six, we didn't want to leave our audience hanging. There are so many incredible women to share their expertise, so we are continuing our Lady Boss interview series with Kat McDavid as the host. In today's episode, she's chatting with Jamie Bland, president and CEO of Sync Health formerly known as the Nebraska Health Information Initiative. Okay, Kat, take it away. I'm Kat McDavid, and I am here today interviewing another Lady Boss crush, Dr. Jamie Bland. She's the CEO of Sync Health, the health data utility for the Midwest. I'm so excited that all of you all get to meet her. And I do want to kick off before I hand it over to Jamie to do her amazing introduction and tell a story so you all can just get a feel for who Jamie Bland is in my life. Uh, I met Jamie while at a bar as one does uh, with a mutual friend and you could just like smell the power dripping off of her. And I, I, you know, I tried to approach very slowly because you have to do that when someone has a power bubble around themselves. And I remember introducing myself, hi, I'm Kat McDavid. And she took like a swig of whiskey, looked over her shoulder and said, who are you? (laughs) And and that began our great friendship. So here we are today, uh, friends, friends and partners, and uh, Jamie, I'll let you take over now. (laughs) I think that's a little more dramatic. I don't remember. I'm like, I may have taken this sip of whiskey and then said, should I, I probably should know know you, (laughs) which is, which actually is a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, well, uh, Jamie Bland, um, President and CEO of the Sync Health Enterprise, which um, Kat often tells me I have like 16 nonprofits, but we have five. Um, oh, it's only five. It's only keeps five. Me pretty, keeps me pretty busy. busy. But um, so a little bit about me. I am a uh, nurse by background. I started my career actually as a um, CNA. I've held every job in healthcare. Um, I've, you know, done patient transport. I've worked in as a nurse tech. I've worked um, as an LPN, then an RN. Then I went and, you know, got my um, DNP, so um, doctor in nursing practice in public health, which um, how I got here, um, really. But I started my career as a staff nurse um, and uh, really kind of 
was focusing on med surge, focusing on doing the traditional uh, nursing stuff. And then um, 9-11 happened and my husband uh, was um, prior active duty Air Force. So he was um, ready to to take a job over in the Middle East uh, a few months after 9-11. So we packed up our family and moved to Doha, Qatar and uh, planned on being there for two years and ended up being there for almost 10 years, six of which I worked for the U.S. Army um, in Qatar and managed a clinic and learned a lot of things about emergency medical response and the military medicine and um, public health and working with um, in a country that is not yours and navigating all of those kind of intricacies around culture and um, and just different experiences and bringing cultures together from Canada and Australia and New Zealand and uh, Germany to try to uh, really do something in in a, in a community. And um, from there, I, I learned a lot of things. Patience and resilience is one and, um, of how to get things done and collaborate and really has fit in well with um, where I'm at today as far as health information exchanges. And <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a little bit of a jump. That's a little bit of a jump, right? Working with all those, all those different groups in a different country. Yeah. And then, oh, and then, you know, you know, health information exchange. So, <laughs> so how did that happen? How did that specifically happen? Because you, you so, jumped from clinical care into, in, into basically leadership and administration. So yeah. Point? So when I was, um, when I was working, so I went from the army to work for Cutter Foundation. And uh, when I was with Cutter Foundation, we um, were working on the national electronic health record. So I was part of all of that uh, work. And uh, we built the hospital, which is operational today in Doha, a women's and children's hospital called Sidra. And then um, part of that uh, electronic health record experience and launching that. So some of the planning there. Um, data warehousing. Then I came back um, and I went to work for the VA. So um, I was telling Kat this earlier, but I read a book called Best Care Anywhere. And it the picture that it paints about the VA healthcare system and, you know, really kind of pulled at my, you know, patriotic heartstrings and the work that I did with the Army. And so I went to work for the VA where I led patient-centered medical home, which is branded um, something differently within the VA. But I led that within the primary care service line in the region. So I got to get know clinics and communities from North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, into Wisconsin, um, which we had eight hospitals and 70 plus clinics and we're rolling that out. And um, that was hard, hard work <laughs> doing that kind of transformation. So leading physicians through change and leading nurses through change and population health management and using data and using um, claims information and performance information to really inform on how we were caring for veterans. And um, through that, I learned a lot about uh, communication around data, using data, and where to get sources of information that you needed to really facilitate transformation. And that was including data from the external community, which is where I first encountered health information exchanges in early 2010s um, when they were probably known as HIOs or RIOs or mm -hmm. um, were really kind of funded through these ONC interoperability grants and then 
just starting out. So that was my first touch with an HIE when I was at the VA. Right on. So, so what was harder? So you, you talked about you, you were in a different country for 10 years. You worked for the U.S. Army in, in a different country. And then you worked for, I think you said the Qatar uh, Foundation. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so was, was that experience less difficult than, than working with the VA and, and all of this change management? Oh, HIE works definitely harder than all of that. <laughs> so you just, you leveled it up a little. It wasn't enough. So then you went into the HIE world. Got it. But, Got it. But I think the, so the challenge with um, something like the VA and the bureaucracy and trying to move that to a different place, that's significantly harder than um, than working through a process to build a hospital in a place that is, this is really a greenfield type of experience, right? We're going to build a women's and children's hospital. There wasn't one there. All of the programming and engagement that was um, needing to be happened. I mean, it was a big, beautiful building, a lot of engagement around it, a lot of um, community buy-in around that. Um, so whereas navigating cultural differences and um, administrative differences between, uh, you know, American medicine versus Canadian versus, um, you know, administration that was from Australia and nurses that were from Canada, all of that, I think, can be complex, but we generally spoke the same language. Um, trying to get movement in a bureaucracy like the VA um, one, I think you have to be willing to push back on no. And then is that really a no or is it a no from that person? And do they have the authority to tell me no? And then navigating around that person <laughs> if need be. So really trying to figure out who is the decision maker within this bureaucracy. And you just have to find the right person to say yes, right? So there was a lot of things that we did uh, within our service line that were considered to be innovative. It was really navigating those politics. And I think I probably learned more about politics and engagement and navigating a space like HIEs when I worked for the Army and the VA because nice. you have to navigate those bureaucracies to be able to get stuff done, right? Otherwise, you take the first no and you never advance. And you know, I'm not I think really that's- good at that. That is so interesting to hear you you kind of articulate that because I was thinking earlier, you know, what we always ask, you know, what what is your superpower? And I was like, what is Jamie just gets stuff done, but like how and why? And I think that that might actually be it. You are incredible at kind of identifying, seeing the playing field and navigating these very, very complex systems. I mean, we're talking about whole states at a time you're able to be successful with. And maybe maybe that's it. You just you you have that experience navigating very complex systems and um, and you're able to apply that over here. Yeah, for sure. I think one, um, when I was uh, overseas and navigating politics, I was very young and naive. So I, but looking back, that was to my advantage because I didn't know who was going to yell at me or who was going to tell me no, but I certainly asked the questions because I had to get this objective done. And I was so um, focused on you know, goal attainment and, and ensuring that that thing got done, that um, I really didn't take it personally if somebody told me no. So um, <laughs> <There's> <laughs> I don't know if I would there. have the same success now, but I think now I've just built up a tolerance to um, no. There, not, there is an you know, advantage to being young yeah. and dumb, right? Like, a, as I always say. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
because I think that was one of, you know, things, you know, being young and um, not, not already kind of beat up by the system, I was able to say, well, that no really doesn't make sense. Why would that person say no? And I'm also kind of like a processor, like I really Mm -hmm. reflect and think about things. So I'm like, I wonder if I ask it this way, or if I go ask this other person who I know has at least hierarchical influence to this person, maybe I should, um, should approach it that way. So I learned a lot from, from that army experience and then um, taking that over to the VA and understanding, you know, the difference between policy and rules and regs and how to navigate um, people, policy, rules, and regulations. And I think that's really what um, has been a recipe for success in the HIE space because the space is complex because it is tied to all of those things. It's it's tied to state politics and federal politics and policy rules and regs within CMS and under being able to unpack all of those things and build a business model around it. Yeah, no, absolutely. You also, I think, in in addition to just understanding the landscape and being able to navigate it, what I've seen out of you is is you um, just seem to be very tenacious. And like you said, I I think it was an exercise in patience and resilience when you were talking about your time in the Middle East. Um, And and you told me this incredible story uh, a little bit ago about your your first, I think it was your first week in the VA. And and this is kind of a funny example when you you need to tell a story about when your shoes froze the sidewalk, but kind of how you just processed that problem and kept going forward. Will you please tell everyone because it is one of my favorite stories that you've told today. So one of my first trips when I started to work for the VA um, was to Wisconsin in the last week of January, I think it was January 27th, to be exact. You, you remember and the exact date. <laughs> this, this, was like, this was like eight years ago, and I still remember this. So one thing that I have not actually accustomed back to when I moved was um, like shoes and socks, right? I still wear flats. I really don't prepare for weather. So when I went to Wisconsin for this clinic um, visit and training, I w- it was early in the morning. I was getting ready, and I was going out to my car, and I had stuff in my my hands, I had a coffee in one hand and my bag in the other. And I had, was walking out to my car and it was negative, like negative 70. And I paused to like readjust. But when I went to move again, my shoes had stuck to the ground because my shoes were like warm. (laughs) The, the, uh, it was so cold. They stuck. Like if you stuck your tongue to, a. uh, light pole right a metal pole like in the movie this is this is Um, jamie's first experience after her time with the qatar foundation (laughs) yes it was uh it was woefully underprepared for this um freezing cold event so i ended up having to to get my shoes i was afraid that if i lifted my feet up and tried to grab my shoe off that my foot would freeze to the ground. So I used my coffee to pour around my shoe and we're, we're able to get my shoes freed from the icy, snowy, wet ground. <laughs> but the it was clutches so of Wisconsin. And I thought, <laughs> this is not the place where I'm supposed to be right now. I need to go back to somewhere warmer for sure. But um, it is one reason that I don't think I've ever been back to Wisconsin since then. <laughs> Well, I think it's a good report and also like lesson learned for all the ladies out there. If your shoes freeze to the sidewalk in neg- negative 70 degree weather, you do have a coffee cup and you can you can free That's yourself. Right. You can move forward. Uh, <laughs> all right. So we haven't talked about we haven't talked about how you actually jumped into HIE land. 
We've talked about like why well, you're crushing it. I would, how, how did you get there? How did this even happen? So I was working. So after I worked for the VA, I left and I worked for um, a clinically integrated network, an ACO type super ACO organization in Nebraska. And one of the things we were trying to do was leverage the HIE to um, to be for data acquisition. Like how do we bring data into the ACO and how do we... Um, really build out this infrastructure that we need for, to be successful in these measures. And um, so I started working with the HIE and, and um, through multiple iterations of consolidation that was happening in the market and different changes in healthcare systems, we ended up being um, absorbed through or um, the company I was working for joined another organization. So at that time, the HIE executive um, for then Nehi was retiring. So they asked me to come in and do a consultancy and then eventually work for um, Nehi. And I took the role as a director of business development while um, the HIE executive was, was uh, transitioning out and then ended up being named as the CEO. So that's how I got here because we were trying to use it as an acquisition strategy. Um, and I would say that was 2016-ish. So about really two, two years into full-on, um, you know, HIE operations in the state. But it was really difficult at that time to, you know, it was before USCDI and, you know, really some of the ADT standards. And so I would say that what we were trying to do then, we we're doing now. So, so when I met when I met you, Jamie, uh, obviously, you know, there's the bar story. That's great. And I didn't really know who you were. I just kind of smelled the power, right? And I was interested in that. Um, but, you know, we we got reconnected uh, because we were both kind of campaigning and crusading on this interoperability issue at the federal level. And it was super fun. And we kind of hooked up and did that. And it was it was kind of a good time. Uh, and I remember, um, you know, at the time I was working with Collective Medical full-time, uh, working on their government affairs work. And uh, and, you know, my most of my career has been in this sector and I've had a lot of experience with HIEs. And I remember talking to you and thinking, this person is n like one of these things is not like the others, right? Like you you definitely had a very unique approach to, uh, you know, what what we now call the health data utility, health information exchange, the, the, you know, the next coming Um and, uh, and and you approached it, I thought, very much like a private sector business person. And um, and I also think the way in, in general that you're leading Sync Health today is is much more. It, it is a very different leadership style, and I'm I'm really interested in that. So, I mean, the question I have is, you know, overall, how how did you develop this this style, right? Uh, because you you don't have that that like tech company experience, right? Um, you you come from a very different world, but you you've adopted, I think, a lot of those those um, those strategies and leadership characteristics. Do you think your military background had something to do with that, or you know what really crafted this for you? Yeah, so I, I do think it's um, my early exposure um, when I was working in the army and and or working with the army in in Doha, and really that was about adaptability and change, right? If you think about when I was there was um, to early 2002 and um, I, you know, Iraq didn't turn out to be what we thought it was going to be. Afghanistan didn't turn out uh, what we thought it was going to be. And I was really um, working in the army when it really migrated towards this more team of teams concept and you, you utilize resources um, from other agencies. So 
um, the installation that I was assigned to um, really focused on, you know, there, there might be coalition forces. There might, you know, I was working in an army clinic that was staffed by Navy that had Air Force support as well. So not only was I working across agency, um, I, you know, we were having a constant shift of, of folks that um, were new. Like every 90 days we had a new team and every 90 days we um, had uh, different leaders that would come in or, you know, and that could even be a turnover even more quickly. So we got to be very, um, what I would, before agile was agile, right? We got this cadence down where we were able to shift and pivot uh, quickly towards what the need of the day was or need of the month or whatever the, you know, ebb and flow of surges where we Mm. went from having to support 5,000 to 15,000 and what that looked like. And I went from, you know, being a nurse to managing an EMS service and managing a pharmacy and managing a lab and having to understand all of that um, uh, in a, you know, highly stressful uh, environment. But I just learned to deal with it all, right? (laughs) I think it was the resilience of youth and the, um, I was very... I, I like change. I'm not uh, opposed to change. I, you know, I, and sometimes people here at our organization, St. Calf is like, why are we changing again? Cause I'm like, it's new and exciting. Apparently <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not everybody likes that. So I do, I do hear that from, from some of my team members, but to me, it's like continuous improvement, right? One thing we, I was able to learn quickly um, as a young leader was, continuous improvement. If it didn't work mm. 90 days ago, how can I get to, what What are we going to do at this iteration of change that will help that be better? So a lot of, you know, checklists, a lot of um, standardization. So I love data standards. I Like, why doesn't everybody just do the standard thing? So it's so hot, right? <laughs> um, so, you know, I think if we could just get towards some of that, but that's why I think, you know, I really push the organization towards development not because we're developing product, but because we continually have to be better in delivering a value proposition. Otherwise, why are we here? You know, right. it's, you know, we all could be doing different things, but we all want, we all are attached to this mission. And one, one thing that our organization definitely is part of, and I am sure that I communicate as a leader is around mission. We are here so that we have a longitudinal health record that we are here to make sure that, you know, our, our futures and our children have access to healthcare records. And it is not hard to get access to them um, because today it still is. It's still hard. Right. It's still, you know, this tied up in bureaucracy, but how do we free some of that up? And we're all here to do that because we know that, you know, if we can, um, you know, reduce duplication and reduce cost and improve quality. And, um, you know, when we're all paying for healthcare, it's not only the healthcare component, it's an economic uh, component as well. So we are contributing to our community in that way. And that resonates with a lot of people because we've all had to pay that healthcare bill. We've all had to pay for, like, why did I have to pay for two tests? Or, you know, why did um, my grandma have to, you know, deal with this when, you know, she was sick and didn't, you know, why did she have to go walk across the street to get her records and hand them to the hospital that was literally 50 feet from the clinic? And, um, you know, those kinds of things that really don't make common sense, but we understand it from a healthcare perspective. Mm. And I approach it as, as though I'm a clinician, 
right? And I think that's where um, why I approach it differently is I never looked at the health information exchange as technology. I looked at it as um, information that we all need, um, whether mm-hmm. I'm a person seeking care or a clinician or a provider delivering care. Um, we all need this information so that we can deliver the best care possible. And um, it is not a failure of technology. It is a failure of people and policy that have mm. that from being possible. Right on, right on. I, I love the, the note about leading with mission, right? Getting people aligned, especially when you're in a field with rapid change. And I think that, you know, Sync Health is definitely in that change because, because you, you are kind of changing the model for health information exchange. Um, but I want to go back. So you were talking about team of teams. And I know that, you know, there's lots of different, you know, there's tons of leadership books out there by, um, by, uh, by amazing military leaders. And team of teams, I think, is really interesting. Can you talk about how you've applied that to Sync Health and, and just maybe talk about some of the outcomes or results that you've had with that? I, I love that model. Yeah. So when we, so our organizational structure is we don't even present it hierarchical because, um, and, and I had a town hall this morning where I talked about the iterations of change and, and we're in a health information changes and, or health data utilities, whatever you um, want to label it is, is really in a place where you have to pivot towards policy. So when a policy changes or the state Medicaid agency needs a thing or a pandemic happens, you need to pivot towards that opportunity. And if we're not pivoting towards opportunity, we're not growing. Um, So when I talk about team structure and a team of teams, it's not just the technology team. It's not just the clinical team. It's not just the operations team. It's all of those components together. So product and um, design and, um, and technology that come together to deliver on whatever the opportunity is that we need to deliver on. Um, and it might make sense that these five people are assigned to this opportunity today, but when it comes down and there's a, a opioid problem that we need to tackle, it's a different five people. So, mm-hmm. but it may be three of the same people, but we need to change two people out. And, that's an operational cadence I set from the beginning because it doesn't make sense to organize teams in a very hierarchical way when they're not the best people to be on the team to deliver the thing. And we want to be able to deliver the things. So um, I, I, when people onboard to our organization, I specifically talk about this pace of change because it's not for everybody. And we have to be able to use the best people and the best information and the, um, but use the best technology so that we can deliver what needs to be delivered today because technology advances all the time. And it might be today we are doing this thing for health information exchange, but then within 30 days of, you know, spring of 2020, we were doing testing results and reports and all kinds of things that we weren't doing before. Right. That's what needed to happen. But because we laid that foundation, we were able to make that happen. That's awesome. So, so I know we've talked a lot about about how Sync Health responded to um, the pandemic, mm-hmm. and and the results are pretty pretty interesting. I know you presented on them a lot. There's you've you've had a lot of media attention around how you've been able to support um, Nebraska and Iowa, right? And um and I and I wanted to ask, and you kind of answered it for me, right? I wanted to ask how were you able to pivot and do that? And a lot of other HIEs were able to to fill that gap and and really provide value to their communities as well. But you're you're saying you're kind of attributing all of that to um, kind of your cultural and leadership approach and organizational structure. 
Yeah, I think so. Awesome. I think um, it wasn't all vetted out, of course, um, you know, when I reflect back on it, but it was definitely a foundation that was laid um, just in my experience and the ability to see, like, take this opportunity because it was built for HIE, right? This, the pandemic response, the data that was needed and the um, gap between public health and healthcare delivery, we needed to fill that gap. So, um, you know, pivot towards that, do the thing, uh, reprioritize and use the intelligence that's coming in um, fairly rapidly to reorganize teams and make that the priority focus. So I, I do think that that was, you know, we, from an incident command mass casualty type of response, I definitely drew upon that, you know, and, yeah. and then we're, we're able to lay plans um, to be able to deliver uh, what our state needed to to do, right? I, I, you know, we I we have a great relationship with public health. We have a great relationship with Medicaid, and we pay very close attention to what the need is, and we try to fill that, and um, and not be a burden to public health or Medicaid or you know whatever the data need need is. That's what we'll go out and get because that's what we we're supposed to do. So we we very much take that partnership approach. Um, and bring in technology partners when it makes sense to do that or consultants when we need um, to do that as well. So um, using that partnership effectively so that we can rapidly uh, respond to what, what the community needs. Right, right. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's a great story of success and really how you can use organizational leadership and, and change management to do the cool things. You guys definitely have crushed it there. Um, so, okay. So those of you who know Jamie um, might know that she has this thing going on where she just straight faces everything. And I feel like I'm like pretty good at reading people. Sometimes I have to ask her if she's oh, actually... Not sometimes, almost every time she straight face tells me some crazy story. I have to ask her if she's serious because sometimes she actually is. So when when I um when I think about Jamie, I'm always like, wow, like she like I, I really think you've never had any problems. I'm like, she just like cruised through her career. She like, she's a doctor, you know, all these things. Um, but like, I'm sure there are some parts of your career that actually were quite adversarial or really, really hard. So can you um please humanize yourself a little bit so we all can feel like we someday can succeed as well and tell us about the hard times? <laughs> I mean. Um, I think my daughters are in healthcare or they're in college and one's um, uh, a career in nursing and one's going towards a career in medicine. But I think they think primary care and public health is like the only parts of medicine that matter because they had to sit and listen <laughs> to my presentations throughout my doctorate program because my husband was working in another state or uh, back overseas so as little children, they had to sit and listen. I'm like, okay, mommy's going to tell you a story. Really? <laughs> <was> really? <laughs> <laughs> you use them so, as your audience? That's kind of adorable. And my also... audience. So, <laughs> I, I mean, they think like public health and primary care are like the, the greatest parts of healthcare because of all of those things that they've heard. And because I would use them to, you know, practice on because I wasn't great at doing it in front of the mirror and I had to improve my delivery and, you know, be convincing when I was talking about, you know, transformation in primary care. So, um, is yeah, that where you developed the straight face. Is that, where you, is that where, when you were practicing with your daughters, just, <laughs> I think I learned that in, um, the army, like, never show like um surprise or um like how in the heck am I going to accomplish this and you know 
if you ever like show that doubt, like the Colonel might take it away from you. So you really, Oh man, I I don't think I would succeed in that scenario. I feel like we must be, it's going to be interesting to watch this again and see my like over expressions of everything (laughs) and your straight face. (laughs) Now I will tell you that my older daughters now tell me that that's like the scariest thing when they tell me something and I don't react. I believe them. They think it's scary, but We've all learned it. Uh, we've all been, you know, different experiences. But I guess, you know, if you think about um, the things that I had to do in that, you know, those early 2000s uh, and standing up a clinic and, you know, surging and, oh, we're getting 5,000 uh, new uh, service members tomorrow, you know, make sure the clinic's open 24 hours. And you're just like, okay. I'm going to do that. I don't know how I'm going to do that, but I'm going to figure it out. Um, so, uh, you know, just kind of years of that, I don't think I've, I don't think you can tell me anything that surprised me anymore about people or <laughs> things I got to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> it does sound like that's a unique experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so you, you know, so we were talking about like the hard times and um, you, you start talking about like, I'm, so I'm like going to dig a little bit here and you tell me if I'm off base, but you know, you, I maybe cut you off and you didn't finish that story, but um, it sounds like obviously getting your PhD was like pretty free. Was it your PhD or was it? It's a doctorate in nursing practice. Okay. So in public health and global health nursing, but I was working at the VA and I had three little kids and, um, and a husband that was off traveling back and forth to the Middle East. Um, so yeah, it was it was tough. I don't remember a lot from that period of time because I wasn't sleeping a lot. Um, but um, you know, I I I want that was one thing that I came back to the states to do, and I wanted to do that. And um, a lot of that was because of when I worked for the Army, I um, had this experience with the Naval Medical Research Unit, in which we were doing some um, some studies and. Um, I, I really got a exposure to public health through through uh, military medicine. So it was one thing that was really important to me to to be able to come home and complete that. And I thought I was going to do it in four years, and I did it in five years. But you know, ultimately, there was a lot of sacrifice that went into that. So it was hard. Um, and uh, you know, my my kids were small, but um, now that's why they work hard in school because they, you know, I think a lot of parenting is about modeling and, you know, they saw, you know, me get up early, you know, I was up at 4.30 and I'm studying and they, you know, would wake up and see me. So they know what it takes to, to be able to be successful. Right. And yeah, follow your goals. And, you know, I didn't have to do that. I probably still would have had a good job and, you know, been successful had I not done that doctorate, but it was important for me. Personally. Yeah, I I love that. I love that because I think I, I talk to a lot of a lot of people who have that have a similar problem, right? They have very demanding careers, but they they have this other goal, whether it's education or whatever it might be, starting a side hustle or whatever. Um, a lot of people just say, "I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too much." And I think that um, I think I think a lot of people are more than willing to do, like you're saying, like just not sleep, right? Just get it done. But they have this kind of like overwhelming sense of family guilt, right? Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I certainly didn't, I'm, I'm not extremely educated, but, um, but I've received a lot of criticism in my career about, oh, you know, you work too much and you, you're leaving your boys with your husband. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like his job, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'd love if you could talk, I, I think that's actually very inspiring to hear you talk about it and, and talk about how, yeah, it really did suck and you didn't sleep and you don't remember it, but it sounds like it was worth it. 
Yeah, you know, I, I of course have all that mom guilt too. And, you know, I miss some things or um, I don't remember them, you know, fully. But I think um, my daughters are really proud of me. Yeah. So Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I love that. I think that um, what I've what I've learned to tell people when they say, "Oh, like you know, for a while I was commuting, you know, uh, quite a bit to Salt Lake and around the country, and I missed a lot. I missed a lot, and I get those Facetimes from like you know the Halloweeny roast and yeah. whatever. My husband and I wasn't there, and uh, and what I've decided is um, kind of like what you're saying, and I hope it, it ends up that way with with me and my boys. But I think it's good for little boys to see their mama hustle. Yeah. You know, I think that I think that's really good. Well, it doesn't yeah. come easy, and I think that's what um, what my daughters see too. Is you know when they're struggling, you know, with their physics or chemistry, they remember that that too, and it doesn't come easy. So you know they can at least draw upon that, and you know they also see that I've had you know pretty good success in my life, and um, you know it's it's through hard work. It didn't just appear. So right, right. It doesn't all, just appear. Yeah, it doesn't, and. I think that's, you know, the, and the reason that, that they chose nursing and they chose medicine was because they saw that too. So I don't, I don't want to forget your third daughter. Now your third daughter is a comic book artist. Is that what she is? Something incredible like yes, that? She's not doing healthcare. She doesn't <laughs> remember anything from that. So um, she's still, you know, she, um, I think what she's took away from that time is that, you know, to, uh, be sure to speak up and say what you need. <laughs> Bottom line up front. Otherwise, mom might not have time for for that. But yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness, I love that. I love that. I think I think that's that's really good for people to talk about in here because it is a huge challenge to balance family and you know all the all the guilt and all that. Um, I'm sure I'll hear about it throughout my uh, throughout my life. Um, but okay, so so we've talked about like your superpower, which like, I think is just this incredible, like just top down system strategy that you can navigate. Um, what is the thing that you're like the worst at? Oh, like details, like <laughs> details. I'm like, um, like, I don't want to know the details of the project. I'm like, let's just do this big, audacious project. And, but like some of the detail stuff, I, I'm definitely a, a big picture person and, um, you know, I want to talk broadly about the project, but like the tedious details around like some coding errors or something, I'm like, that. that does not make the project sound fun at all. But it's the work that has to be done. And, and, you know, I've done that. I've done that part of the work too. So I get it that it has to be done and I respect it. I just, um, that's not where I draw my energy from. So I think it's, uh, that's kind of where I would yeah. say my team is like, she never wants to hear the details. They're absolutely right. I don't, <laughs> but, um, sometimes I do, but I think that's probably one of my weakest things is, you know, yeah. Things. So how do you, how do you get around it? Is, is it just surrounding yourself with people who, who know that and who like and details? Yeah. yeah. One thing I will tell you that, um, you know, you walk around, uh, think health. These are people that I've probably worked with in other jobs. I've worked with, um, through other community touch points or, um, I, you know, I remember talent and I remember people that are special and I try to bring them into, um, this very special thing that we're building. Right. I think that's, mm -hmm. that's one, um, 
one thing that I'm, you know, pretty good at. It's, you know, surrounding myself by people that do things better than I do them. Right. And, and, um, and letting them be empowered by that. So, so I love that too. I'd love to talk about that if you're willing. Um, so, so, you know, that, that's actually not very common, right? Where everyone says, oh, I want to hire someone better than me, right? And, and if, if, if anyone's lucky enough to walk around your beautiful office in the strip mall, um, you know, they'll, they'll see that the, the name tags on, uh, you, you have some extremely accomplished people in your building who are working with you. Um, and, and I'd love to talk about just kind of, and maybe it's natural that you, you, you have that personality and, and you have that confidence that you you're bringing in these people but was there something that affected you in your career that 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 made you like that right where you're willing to have this group of superstars around you who are probably better you than a lot of things um that's a good question I think it um you know I just the various you know situations that I was in I was often not the expert in the room right but I what I am good at is this systems thinking and um, looking ahead, you know, to potential pitfalls or, um, or even, you know, my lessons learned um, historically to, oh, that might not work. So we mm-hmm. should, maybe we need to bring somebody in that um, can offer that, that expertise. I think that because I was a leader at a, a young age, um, I, had to ask people questions. I had to um, seek consult with, you know, colleagues that were more experienced than I. And um, I guess that's like, I've never been afraid of asking questions or seeking consult. I guess I don't draw my power from, from hoarding all the information. I want to make sure that everybody has the information. But um, one thing I am good at recruiting people is around this mission because mm. especially the clinician people, right? They understand how difficult and, and being a provider and wishing you had this information, like somebody can't remember where they, where they last got care or, you know, the medication that they're on and you're trying to do the right thing and you just don't have the information and that sucks. And, mm. um, or, you know, living a life of being a care coordinator um, and, you know, you're trying to find somebody a resource at three o'clock on a Friday and everything is closed and there's no place to refer this person to. Like I've lived that before. So I'm going to ensure that, you know, we build systems and processes around um, making that better. And and that speaks to a lot of people that, you know, can see tangible things that we're delivering in the community that make that better. And people want to work on stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think recruit good talent because we're doing good things. So yeah, absolutely. I, and I think um, you know, coming from Collective, we had a very similar approach, right? It was mission first, and and we were little itty bitty. And uh, and people will tell you we punched above our weight class, right? Because we had this incredible mission and we had the big feelings, right? Um, and we too hired a lot of clinicians, and I think that's key. I think there's so many healthcare technology companies out there that don't have clinicians on staff or even consult with them. I think that's a huge miss. For sure. Um, one other uh, strategic topic that I want to talk about. So you and I, you know, we were theoretically, depending on your source, uh, Collective Medical and Sync Health were technically competitors, right? If, if you if you kind of dig down, and I think had an adversarial relationship for, um, you know, you know, before before our Great Bar adventure. 
right? And uh, and and you and I have talked about um, co-opetition, right? And and how and how you kind of turn into the slide, and and you could make something really amazing happen. And at least in the collective side, I know we would say that it's been a very very good partnership. And um, you know we're trying very hard to to show that that we are good partners and we can do that. So talk to me about about that strategy because I feel like you've done that in other areas too, and it, it seems to always work out for you. And so I'd, I'd love to hear the thought on that. Yeah, I, um, there's only so much room, right, in this space. And um, we are not, we're not building product, right? We are um, leveraging good products uh, to do the things that we want to do and accomplish the goals that we want to accomplish. Uh, so, when, so when we met in the bar, I'm like, we're cut from some of the same cloth. So how do we... Really, my... my- my name's Kat McDavid. It seems like you're really, it didn't, it didn't turn you off. Okay. That's good. <laughs> uh, we can do good things together. That's one of my talents, right? Bringing good people together. So, um, uh, what I, what I think about co-opetition is, um, I would rather not fight. I would rather, uh, be synergistic, right? So if we're both trying to do the same thing, and you might be a little bit better at it than I am, I'm surely going to try to work with you and come to terms that we can work together uh, because we can only go further if we do that, right? Right. Um, but if we're fighting over the same space um, and we're trying to do the same thing, we should probably figure out how to work together. So um, that's really how I try to approach a lot of the spaces that we're in, whether it be you know the health information exchange or... Um, SDOH or, you know, PDMP, we really got to figure out how we're doing the best thing for the, the people in the community. Right. And sometimes that may, may mean that we're working with, um, you know, technology partners that may previously have been known as competitors. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. I, I, I think I totally we can agree. go farther if we work together, so... Yeah, hundred um, percent. So and I know I've already had you for 15, 50 minutes. Uh, my mom listened to my last lady boss interview, and she told me I laughed too much, and that it was that I, I rambled too much. So like, clearly, I'm not doing well on on this round. But <laughs> I'm looking forward to her criticism on this one. Um, but but okay. So tell me. So tell me. We've talked about like you know the hard thing. You talked about superpowers. Blah blah blah. Uh, so tell me about the thing you are most proud of in your career so far. I think um, I think generally every position, every job I've had, um, I've left it better than when I came. So mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that I try to do. But I do think that when I leave this role, whenever that is, um, I have made an impact to, to truly shift the market in a different way. And that way is to really talk about it as a health data utility and not just an exchange, right? We, what we're doing is something different. And I think that's, that's created ripple effects and it's where the market needed to go. That's what the market needs to do. Um, but until somebody did it, it was, you know, an aspirational goal. Um, so I think that's one thing that I'm very proud of is, is changing this space in a way that it works for clinicians and to reduce burden and to focus on delivering value and not just moving things from A to B. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's really one of 
the things I think I'll be forever most proud of is that we we truly shifted an entire market segment into into a different place. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, it's, it's again, it's system change. It's the Jamie special, right? <laughs> Fundamentally changing the way an entire category has um, has been viewed and and what it what it does and the value it provides. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we we only have a few more minutes left, but uh, tell me. So if if you could give advice to your, your younger self, right? You said you became a leader young. You know, you kind of you kind of had the crazy crazy start. Um, but talk to me about um, you know what you would have told your younger self um, right now. What 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 lesson would you give yourself if you could? Oh, um, I, I think, uh, it's not always personal, right? Sometimes mm. it's just business and, uh, and, and hire slow, fire fast. <laughs> right, right. That is a lesson I have learned in my own career. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think I in my younger years, I tried a lot harder to really make it work um, sometimes with people. And sometimes like now I tell people, if it doesn't feel right to you, I'm okay with you not working here or just telling me you don't want to work here or, you know, mm. if, if the pace of change, like all these things have to be right for you. Um, so um, it's not personal. I'm not going to take it personally. I think like in my younger self, I would have taken that as a personal leadership failure when it's like, yeah, not really. Sometimes it's just personalities don't work and people just want to do something different. So, um, that's one thing I would, I spent way too much time ruminating on like, why did this person quit? Oh yeah. Whatever. People right. make decisions that they need to make. So, um, but yeah, that's one thing for sure. I want to spend a lot less time worrying about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, th- I think that's actually a really good lesson. And I, I think that, yeah, especially if you identify people and you're the one letting them go, I think that's mm-hmm. also, um, you know, a thing for sure is um, if, if they're not in it and you can tell, I think that um, sometimes it's best to make those changes for your overall organization. Sure. All right. So this is Jamie Bland. I'm so excited that everyone got to meet her and experience a little bit of her power bubble over the internet. Um, you all, I don't know, where can they find you, Jamie? LinkedIn? I don't know. Where yeah, can you sure. find Jamie? Yeah, yeah. We, well, I'm on Twitter. That's about it. LinkedIn. You are on Twitter. You you tweet approximately one time a week. So uh, we'll we'll make sure that's uh, maybe, maybe you'll retweet this. Maybe you'll retweet I have five this. nonprofits. Yeah, that's true. You are a little busy. This has been super fun. We hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as we did, and we hope to continue finding creative ways to connect and celebrate each other. If you're on Clubhouse, you can find me and Sharice there every Tuesday and Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Pacific time in the Hit Like a Girl pod club room, which is new. All right. In the meantime, be well. Talk soon.